Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Mainland Podcast, episode 132. And uh, we're here to talk about all, all things Orlando City and Orlando Pride. Joining me, Michael Citro, the managing editor and founder of TheMainland.com, is David Rowe up in Tallahassee having himself a day. How you doing, Dave? I am indeed having myself a day. I won't burden everybody with it. Let's just say that I'd much rather talk about what we talk about on here than all the rest of the stuff that happened today. So let's just go for it. All right. Well, typically we jump right in with Orlando City's latest game recap. We're not going to do that uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, it absolutely sucked ass and we don't want to talk about it a whole lot. Um, but the bigger news this week, of course, is that Orlando City hired a new head coach in the person of James O'Connor. Actually, that hiring was announced on Friday, and um, the uh, the new coach was introduced Monday at uh, a press conference at Orlando City Stadium. I attended that press conference, and uh, you know, uh, James O'Connor is a guy, Dave, who uh, was on everybody's list as, as a potential replacement for Jason Christ, not just because he has Orlando City ties, but because he was a, a successful coach. Uh, in the USL, an extremely successful coach over the last three and a half years with a very sustained success uh, for a brand new franchise in Louisville City, uh, taking that team to the uh, conference final match uh, two years in a row, the first two years of the club's existence, and then getting over the hump last year and winning the USL uh, championship. And uh, this year, prior to the, uh, the, the change, the move to Orlando City, uh, had Louisville City in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open Cup. So this is a guy who has uh, has earned his uh, his accolades. He's earned his way uh, into the conversation to have an MLS job. Uh, not a guy who's just in the, the conversation because of his affiliation with Orlando City and having played here uh, in the USL. And um, overall, you know, I think this is a, a potentially fantastic hire. Uh, but of course... Time will be the judge of that. What do you think of the hire? You're right. I mean, it's going to time will tell there's, you know, we can project all we want. Um, I, I like it. Um, I think that a lot of the, the fans out there were wanting a bigger name, you know, Hey, why don't we you know get somebody? Why don't we wait until world cups over so we can get somebody like that? We're not going to get somebody like that. I hate to break it to you, but, uh, especially coming off an eight game, a losing streak and going through two coaches in a couple of years is not the thing that makes guys want to come coach here. Um, at least, you know, somebody that's that big of a name. Um, the thing about O'Connor is at Louisville, he, he did it on a shoestring budget also. So, I mean, talk about a guy that can make the most of whatever ingredients you give him. Um, I think that bodes well for what he's going to have to do here in Orlando City, you know, given that these are the players he has and he's got to make the best of it. Um, I, I like what I've heard from him so far. Uh, he's an Irishman, so I like him because of that. And, uh, you know, and of course he does, he does have ties several times during that press conference. Cause I watched it. Um, you know, he, he mentioned how much the club, you know, Orlando city means to him, mm-hmm. uh, as a person, as a player and as a coach. Yeah. He said all the right things on Monday. Certainly, you know, things that you would expect him to say. So maybe some things you wouldn't expect him to say, like, uh, you know, the, the, the one thing that he said that stuck out to me that I didn't expect was that it, there were a lot of MLS jobs he would not have left uh, Louisville City for. And, uh, you know, this was one that he couldn't pass up. Now, um, you know, again, that could be lip service. It could be, you know, saying the the 
politically correct thing or the thing that you want the, the, that you think that the fans want to hear. Maybe it's a talking point given to him from the PR department. Who knows? But he did say all the right things, hit all the right notes. He said, um, you know, that that the roster is a is one that he thinks that has a lot of quality. Doesn't think that there needs to be much tweaking to the to the roster, which is a good thing considering that Alex Latow has already laid out the fact that he wants he wanted the new coach to come in and, and coach the players that are here primarily. You know, not not that there couldn't be a tweak or two in the window, but uh, that this wasn't going to be a rebuild situation. And um, you know, overall, I got a a good impression from James in his return to Orlando City, and I think that he will work as hard as as anybody that would have come in here uh, i think some of the names that people were throwing around were were quite unrealistic i, I just never could see a scolari coming here especially at, you know at age uh, going to be age 70 um i, I never right. i never thought of carlos caros uh, you know after what he's done in, in taking iran to the to the uh, world cup and and nearly getting through the group stage uh, just came like within a few feet and then a, a goal in the other game uh, away from taking iran through uh he's gonna have some serious offers there's there's no doubt that he's he's gonna be getting better offers than mls level offers um so those two things never really made sense to me where I thought uh, a shakeup after the world cup might happen is that some of these coaches take jobs, other guys get asked to leave suddenly they're available. And then maybe you can make something out of that. But um, you know, certainly we, we've, we talked about Caleb Porter as being a possibility. He was interviewed. We had confirmation of that. Um, but uh, ultimately uh, James O'Connor gets the job and uh, we move forward now under the, in the James O'Connor era. And it's uh it's kind of exciting to have him come back because it's one of those things where, you know, if he comes back and succeeds, it, it's a, you know, it's, it's the old, uh, it's almost a local boy makes a good story. Although, you know, by way of uh, Dublin, Ireland and uh, playing, his playing days <laughs> in England. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's good to have James here. And I think that if he gets the buy-in of the locker room, I think that um, this is a, a coach that could surprise some people uh, for years to come. He's only 38. He's only, you know, five or six years older than some of his oldest players. Um, he's played with Dom Dwyer before uh, at the USL level. Uh, they won a championship together at Orlando City, so you know he'll have uh, Dom's respect and Dom's buy-in, and I think that might help him uh, in the locker room to get some of the buy-in from some of the other players. I agree, and, you know, it's... It almost uh, age only matters as much as, um, you know, what what you do. So if, if he goes in there and what he's talking about about tactically and um, as far as what he's wanting them to buy into as far as his system or how he plays, if it benefits them, uh, they'll buy in. If it doesn't, maybe they don't. And, you know, maybe that guy doesn't make the field. He seems to me to be the kind of guy that uh, if you um, – if you buy in and you work hard, you'll see the field. And if you don't do those things, you won't. So I, I think I think he's he's going to be very matter of fact about it. Um, he's mentioned, you know, kind of a, all he's worried about right now is uh, LAFC and uh, getting prepared for that match. Well, when you're on a losing streak like we are, you know, the last thing you need to be doing is going, okay, uh, how many do we have to do to get to the playoffs? No, just worry about getting one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's very much in uh, in that 
narrow mentality in terms of of let's reach the short-term goal of winning the next game and worry about the long-term goals later we'll let's set our sight on the next task and if the next if we keep doing the next next task right and the task after that right and the task after that right the long-term goal will take care of itself in the end so um you know that's really how you have to look at this uh, you know the old joke uh, how do you eat an elephant uh, one bite at a time kind of thing uh that's that's what it takes and this team is only four points below the the playoff line as we uh as we record this and still half the season to play so a long way to go but you're also going to have that learning curve here the next few weeks i'm not i'm not i'm not here to say everything's going to be fine and the, the losing streak's going to end at eight and we're going to start winning from this point on you have a coach who needs to learn his team, learn their their abilities, learn what they can do well, what they can not do well, learn what parts work best in the certain situations. There's going to be a process, uh, as we saw at the beginning of the season with uh, Savarisi up in Portland. Um, things were not working out with Portland early in the year. Now they're they're practically uh, unbeatable. It seems like at times. So uh, I think that after this period of maybe four or five weeks. Uh, then you'll start to see what effects that the James O'Connor will have on this uh, roster. We'll start to see uh, how things kind of shape up, and we'll see maybe potentially if there's a uh, if there's uh, some summer window uh, departures and arrivals that need to happen to to get the team to where he you know he's dialed it in as as well as it can be dialed in this year. But uh, you know, at this point, hope springs eternal. Uh, we move forward with some optimism, and uh, we have a coach in place. And, um, you know, that's half the battle is getting that new guy in, and, and then the next battle is uh, getting him uh, through that, that transition period. Well, the good news for everybody is we've already been losing. They can't <laughs> – it's not like they're going to lose – all they can do is keep losing, or maybe we get some results. So it's – you know, if we were going along like we were – Having having somebody in place that's going to you know uh, hopefully motivate and and turn things around is a lot better than not having somebody. Yeah, and I don't know if this is rock bottom. Certainly, the team hasn't scored in three games, so uh, that's not good. But um, it's it, it's uh, it's difficult to imagine that things will be worse um, in terms of the way that the results have been going. So. Uh, speaking of results being bad, let's go ahead and talk about the trip to Atlanta on the weekend. The, the grand finale in the Bobby Murphy era volume two, uh, could Bobby Murphy get that elusive first victory in MLS play? No, no, he could not. Um, he came out in a little bit different shape again. He went, uh, it looked like a three, four, three, but in practice, it was more a five at the back kind of situation trying to, not quite bunker in per se, but to try to make life difficult for Atlanta in their attack. And, you know, in the early going, there was some, uh, aside from three minutes in giving up a goal, uh, there was some success there in terms of uh, keeping um, some of Atlanta's more uh, explosive players um, not moving toward goal, you know, moving laterally passing backward and that kind of thing as they tried tried to probe and look for a way in unfortunately there was that early cross in that uh, you know skipped off Amro Tarek uh, just that little deflection kept Lamine Sané from being able to play it and then Joseph Martinez slid onto the end of it uh, just inside of uh, Spectre and made it one nothing very early in the game um, 
Orlando City really never got in the game because, again, you give up that early goal, you sort of hang your head and go, here we go again. And, and um, you know, the players certainly will not admit to doing that. But, I mean, I think if you watch the game, you could tell that that team was deflated after that goal. You know, it's human nature. When when it, it happens that often and you see it, it, just like we as fans go, oh, here we go again. Well, they're going to have that same reaction. Yeah, they're paid to play. Yeah, they may be able to deal with it better than we can. But at the same time, you know, they're away. Um, Atlanta's a big, rowdy place. And um, you're talking about one of the more dangerous teams uh, in MLS uh, as far as, you know, how they can score. So if you if you do then press harder, you, you're opening yourself up to, uh, you know, counterattacks. And, and that's it's it's kind of the nature of the game at that point. And you're right that that first cross, uh, those lack of inches that we seem to have whenever the ball is coming into the box on our defensive side to, uh, to clear have, have bitten us in the rear end a couple of times, uh, recently. And, and it did so again here. Yeah. And toward the end of the first half of the, you know, to the lions credit, they, they started to get more of the game and, and play more forward and, and get balls into the attacking third a bit, just not able to get really just never threatened goal all night. Um, I shouldn't really say that there was an opportunity later, but uh, the yep. game was already a couple of goals uh, to the bad at that point, uh, you know, uh, came out in the second half and uh, Atlanta got two goals in a couple of minutes spurt. Um, you know, the first one, just one of those uh, counter attacks. The second one was uh, another ball, a ball off the crossbar where their guy found it before our guys and uh, put it in the net. So, um, you know, just more of the same really, but the whole night really was, was, uh, summed up in that ball that uh, Yuri Rossell sent in and, and Guzan had to fight it off falls perfectly for Will Johnson. All he's got to do is put it in a wide open net from about six yards away and he misses the net. Of course he did, because if he had scored that goal for the first time in ever, you would have been right about the, about the score, the <laughs> prediction. So uh, that couldn't happen. So obviously Will Johnson had to miss that goal. Right. And Al Marone added a late uh, second goal and, and it ended up four nil. It was really, uh, it was the most lopsided score in the series so far. Probably not that uh, unexpected given this, this, the form that the team is in, the fragile uh, psyche of the team, and the fact that everybody knew this was Bobby's last game as uh, as the coach, and you know maybe in some respects had already checked out and tried to to move forward and turn the page. So um, not a good look at Atlanta. Um, but, you know, we don't shy away from picking a man of the match because, uh, you know, just because something is hard doesn't mean we don't do it. So, uh, Dave, your man of the match for Orlando City? Uh, you know, uh, that is a tough one. I'm going to have to go. Um, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, Mueller just for effort. Yeah, I agree. Chris Mueller at least gave effort. I mean, you could still see signs of him being a rookie. Uh, yeah, he he made a, a play late in the game where he did a nice job, got to the end line, nutmegged a defender, got into the box and then sort of didn't really see his options. They He had some, but he didn't see. Them. Right. And then ended up getting the ball poked off of his foot and, uh, and the chance went away. But uh, that's that's the kind of thing that I think that as he grows as a player and gains some experience, he'll get in there. He knows he doesn't have time. He makes that move. He knows the next defender's coming. He'll quickly get it off his foot and find the, the open man. But uh, um, 
those are the kinds of things that epitomized uh, the night for Orlando City. And and uh, but Chris never gave up. He really he really busted his tail throughout the game, and and just for that alone, pushed him probably above everybody else on the field for Orlando. Yeah, and. Uh, I agree, obviously, but I also think that's one of the things that uh, I think he'll be a very uh, quick buy-in to uh, James O'Connor's, you know, mentality because uh, I think he already has the same mentality, and I think uh, with O'Connor's ability to develop players that he had in the USL, I, I think that bodes really well uh, for Chris Mueller and his development. And you know, he he already gives 110 percent, so if he can do that and also get developed by, uh, you know, Dom helping him out up there. And then also uh, uh, O'Connor. I, I, I think that, uh, that that could be a really good thing for him in his career. Absolutely. I think that he's the kind of player that O'Connor will love because he doesn't shy away from the hard work. He doesn't shy away from he never stops running and um, and giving effort. And that's really a lot of the battle. Uh, if you outwork your opponent, uh, even if you're not as talented, then a lot of times good things will happen anyway. So um, I look forward to that pairing for sure um, uh, of Chris Mueller working under um, James O'Connor. And, and I, I'm really anxious to see if some of these younger guys get more of a look under O'Connor uh, because Jason Christ is well, well established. He, he knows that he, he trusts his veterans. He's always been a guy who trusts his veterans more than young players, you know, and, and to Chris Mueller's credit, you know, he won Jason Christ over this year. And uh, Jason Christ right. sleep won over by young players. So, but I wonder what that's you know, what that says for a Pierre de Silva, for a Cam Fletcher, Cam Lindley, um, for a right? Will they be given the opportunities where they weren't given them before, and not give them? They'll have to earn them. Um, but uh, I wonder if they'll be able to give the new coach that they are worth more of a look than what they've gotten so far. It really will be fascinating to see, you know, even even though we want this team to be successful and we want the coach to do well and, and lead this team to victories, there's, you know, if you pull back like we do and you look at the whole overall overarching story, it really is interesting to see how everything develops and, and, you know, whether or not things would have the ship would have been righted uh, a few more games under under Jason Christ, we'll never know. Um, we, we only have uh, the one thing that we have to look at is what's actually happened, which is that uh, results did not come under Bobby Murphy. Uh, so it makes you wonder maybe they could have gotten this O'Connor thing done in the in the background while Jason Christ continued doing what he was doing. But, uh, you know. In the end, it, it's done. It is what it is, and uh, we move on. And uh, we will not have uh, Atlanta uh, again until later in the year. We'll have them one more time. So, August twenty fourth, I believe. I know that because it's my birthday. There you go. Are you coming to the game? I'm thinking about it. Although now that I think about it, Atlanta, I, it's going to just kind of depend. I, I want my birthday to be a good birthday, so it's going to see. I'm going to have to see what happens between now and then. All right. Fair enough. So. Uh, Bobby Murphy uh, went 0-2-0 in MLS play on this particular stint, and he went uh, 0-0-1 in the U.S. Open Cup with a, a draw at D.C. United, followed by a penalty shootout win that allowed the Lions to move on. So if you look at uh, Bobby's record in MLS play, uh, he is now 0-3-3 and 0-3-4 overall. So... Not great, Bob. 
<laughs> no, but as we talked about last week, it's that's not really what he's he's cut out to do. Right. And uh, um, you know, we know he won't be uh, assistant coaching anymore with the uh, the senior squad. So uh, will it remains to be seen, you know, where where he fits in at all. Right. And thank you for bringing that up. The other talking points from Monday, obviously. Um, are that Bobby Murphy and uh, goalkeeper coach Tim Mulqueen will no longer be involved with the first team. I thought that was very interesting, especially with Tim Mulqueen uh, not being involved with the first team um, any longer. And it, the wording of that makes me also wonder what uh, maybe Bobby is being uh, tabbed for a, a return of OCB when they come back next year in uh, Division Three. USL Division Three is the plan, uh, according to... Um, what we heard this week. And also um, James O'Connor brought Daniel Bird with him from, from uh, Louisville city as an assistant coach and more uh, staff announcements are, are going to be announced. So uh, that'll be something for us to keep our eyes on as well. So lots of news that came out this week. Dave, you want to talk some Orlando pride? Yeah, we might as well. All right. You know, the one thing we can count on when Orlando City is down and out is that the Orlando Pride will never let us. Oh, crap. They let us down. You Um, gave it a good try. An 0-2 week at home this week, Dave, and a very uh, disheartening week in a lot of ways because Orlando came out on Wednesday against the Houston Dash, and for the first 30 minutes of that game just looked like they were going to win by eight or nine goals. They were all over the dash. Uh, some big saves in that, in that half. Uh, Alex Morgan hit the post on a penalty, uh, but just not, not enough good quality finishing on the shots. And that let the dash hang around. And once uh, the dash made a tactical change and uh, Tom Sermani made a change of his own to try to counter that. It kind of was a back-and-forth game the rest of the way, and Houston did look dangerous at times, but it still seemed like the Pride would always win the game. And then, out of nowhere, Kalia Ojai sends a cross into the box that ends up in the back of the net. Um, just a completely botched cross that didn't wasn't an intention to score on her part, and I would totally give her credit if she had tried to score on that, because that would have been amazing. But uh, it came in from the wing and just kind of sailed and tailed. And, uh, uh, you know, I thought I think personally Ashlyn Harris misplayed it in the air and, and probably could have kept it out. But it was a it was a placement that was going to be difficult for her um, to uh, to prevent a goal. And she didn't uh, jumped a little early, I think, in my estimation. Otherwise, maybe she keeps that out. Maybe she she gets a hand on it, and pushes it over the, the crossbar. But uh, it's in the net. It's one one. And then just a couple of minutes later. Uh, just an unfortunate, uh, another, oh, another Ojai cross into the box and it goes off of, uh, an arm, Monica's arm. And, uh, now you got a, a penalty kick and, uh, they step up and score it and it's two, uh, one and Houston dash escapes with all three points. Yeah. It was the, uh, the most accidental goal scoring, uh, ever, uh, on Ojai's. It was, it was, like you said, if it had been intentional, it would have been an incredible, incredible shot. But, uh, uh, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Uh, and she was on that one. The, the handball, um, you gotta, you gotta keep those arms in whoever you are when you're in the box like that, even if you're not looking, even if you're looking the opposite way, uh, which is what happens. If you look, she's facing the other way from the hand that 
that the ball hits, but uh, the call was what it was. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, of course, all of this is uh, uh, much to do about nothing if, if Alex doesn't hit the, uh, the post on the uh, PK earlier in the game. But I uh, just, you know, one of the evidently one of those nights for the pride, even though, like you said, most of the night they looked like the more dangerous team. Yeah, it was uh, it was sad. If you if you watched Belgium against Japan, uh, Vertonghen's goal was much the same as he headed it back across the front of goal, but it didn't go in front of goal. It went in the goal because it was just right. an offline cross that just was offline in the perfect spot where nobody could get to it and keep it out. So uh, that's what happened on Ojai's cross as well. Only hers was much further out near the sideline and uh, further away. And it was uh, it was just uh, it's a little upsetting when you see it. But, you know, that happens in soccer. Sometimes it's just not your night. Uh, I think uh, Orlando had another shot or two that were uh, saved off. uh, There was one saved off the crossbar, another one saved off of the post. Uh, Marta almost had an Olympico on a, on the, a corner on the first one. She puts it in, she puts in the corner and it's about to go in the net and the goalkeeper, uh, Jane Campbell gets a hand on it, pushes it off the crossbar. Uh, And then later in the game, um, I can't remember who took the shot, but uh, it may have been, Kennedy, I can't remember, but it, it was, again, a save, and it hit off the post after it was saved. So um, not Orlando's night, and, um, you know, credit Houston. They, they hung around and did enough to win, even though uh, the, the goals were both incredibly uh, generous gifts by the Pride. Uh, so you thought, well, maybe they'll, they'll get it together. They'll be a little angry. They'll come out with a little more fire against North Carolina Courage on Saturday. Nope. Nope. Uh, the, I will give Tom a little bit of grief here for his uh, his tactics. Uh, the Pride came out a 4-4-2 to try to go toe-to-toe with North Carolina, try to gum up the midfield a little bit, and um, it didn't work at all. Uh, the Pride's uh, midfield got overrun throughout the game um, to the point where they were trying to bypass it often. Um the pride that is not North Carolina. They were happily just skipping right, right through it. Um, but they didn't like the shape, didn't like having uh, Rachel Hill as a as a midfielder per se, or Marta up top with, with Alex. Um, I am really of the opinion that Marta needs to be the number 10 in the middle of the pitch, allowed to roam, allowed to be free, allowed to have some creativity of where she moves to distribute the ball where it's best uh, distributed because she has the best vision on the team. Uh, Rachel should be up top poaching goals, running, uh, running past people, uh, making runs and getting onto the ball. Uh, she had a heck of a time with Kaylee Kurtz, who had a great game. Credit to her. Uh, good speed was uh, able to nullify Rachel Hill's speed. And that was able to keep uh, keep her at bay. And, and in fact, she she had a really, I thought, a poor half uh, and was uh, subbed out at halftime as, as Tom made a tactical change. Um but everybody had a bad first half in that game, and, and I think that uh, it would be hard to single anyone out who had a good half for the Pride. And especially yeah. in a in a um, three goals in four minutes period where the Courage just kept putting the ball in the net that should never have been on their feet. Uh, the first one was a, a poor clearance attempt by Monica and Emily Van Eggman uh, that they end up putting in the net. The second one is a a really bad pass from Allie Krieger. That's just perfectly uh, right onto the foot of a Carolina player. And then the next thing you know, it's in the back of the net uh, uh, off of uh, a deflection off of Pollyanna, who I 
think didn't do a good job of closing down the shooter. Uh, just a really poor game from the pride overall. And, and although there were times when the pride took, took the play really, especially in the second half at the courage, um, you know, the courage were absorbing that pressure and uh, the pride never did really look likely to, uh, to get back in the game. They looked like they might score a goal and maybe even two, but I don't think they really ever were going to be a factor, especially after going down three goals in the first half. Yeah, no, it was, uh, like you said, twice in a week, it just was not their night. This game more so uh, their play, their shape. Um, I think that Tom Sermani was the only one uh, associated or watching the pride that thought that Marta should be up top and uh, Hill should be in the midfield because like you uh, and almost everybody online that I I commented with or read comments from, uh, that's everybody wants Marta to, you know, get central, let her, let her create, let her do what she does best. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you're going to have, if you're going to have Marta, let Marta be Marta. Um, so, you know, I, Tom, I, you know, much respect for Tom. I think, you know, he just kind of chose poorly this go around and um, maybe, uh, maybe going forward, we'll see, you know, a different shape that will allow the the pride to utilize the offensive weapons that they have so you picked the wrong grail on the indiana jones movie thank you for getting that (laughs) thank you you chose poorly um yeah and scott carnival wrote about that this week that you know hill a lot of a lot of us think that rachel hill with what she showed in australia and what she's shown so far this year and what she showed in in glimpses last year it's time to just unleash her and just give her that starting spot and let her grow in the game from the beginning and 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 up top where she's effective yep. and if you have an alex morgan and a sydney larue and a rachel hill that's a heck of a, a scoring line in a 4-3-3 uh and it's you know or you could even put uh, hill and and larue out on the wings in a 4-2-3-1 with alex up top and you could have marta in that 10 role in between uh in between hill and larue and i think that that seems to be um the kind of offensive uh, firepower that put the fear of God in most uh, opposing teams. Um, you know, if you want to play Kennedy and Van Eggman in those defensive mid roles or, or Danny Weatherholt, who's shown to be the best tackler on the team and the, and the most physical midfielder on the team, uh, maybe pair her with Van Eggman or with Kennedy in that defensive midfield. That seems to me to be the best solution. But I, I think that um, if you need some spark off the bench, some speed off the bench when legs are heavy, Chioma can run for days. So bring in Chi off the bench. I think that's the way to go. It was also disappointing for me to not see Camilla in the 18 at all on Saturday because she still hasn't played. I don't know if she had a setback. I haven't been out to training to see, you know, to talk and see if she's, um, you know, had a little bit of a setback. But I think that um, if she is healthy and can play, you got to get her in the game. And I think this was an opportunity here that if she if she is healthy enough and was in the 18, uh, down three goals in the second half is a time when you can give her some minutes and start to get her back into game shape. Absolutely. And it's, um, you know, the only explanation would be what you're saying is, you know, maybe she had some sort of setback or, um, you know, Tom doesn't feel that she's, uh, you know, even 30 minute ready, I guess. But um, it, it there's they needed something else that night. And, you know, it, maybe it could have been it could have been her, even if it was just coming off the bench. Um, but uh, going back to the 
whole idea of a Morgan LaRue and a, a Hill attack, who do you defend? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's a, you know, pick, you know, okay, two out of three and, and then you, the other one's going to kill you. So it would be, uh, I, I think you're right. It would be a nightmare for defenses. And I, I hope eventually we, we see something like that. Right. I also think if you have um, Morgan and, and LaRue sort of crashing into the area and Hill, that's going to leave some space behind for Marta to run into and, and take shots from the top of the box too. So I, I think it helps yeah. the offense. I'd like to see it. Maybe we'll see it this weekend against the Washington spirit. We'll talk a little bit more about what the lions and what the pride have coming up this weekend, a little bit more after we get to our guest, let's talk a little bit more about the, uh, the coaching change and uh, about the new coach, James O'Connor. We've got a, a very special guest who is uh, very familiar with James O'Connor. We'll get to that interview uh, right after this. All right, joining us on the Mainland Podcast this week, we're happy to welcome back a former Mainland staff writer, and uh, he was our Louisville City correspondent way back in 2015 when Louisville City was uh, the USL affiliate for Orlando City, uh, and uh, also a former Louisville City radio broadcaster, and uh, why don't you welcome, uh, please, Jeff Milby back to the program. Jeff, uh, thanks for being with us. Hey, I'm really glad to be with you guys, glad to be back uh, on the podcast. It's been a while. Uh, but uh, should be enjoyable. I'm looking forward to it. Well, Jeff, uh, obviously the big news we wanted to talk to you about this week uh, is the hiring of James O'Connor, and I know a lot of people here that, you know, kind of became Orlando City fans after maybe after the USL days, uh, which, you know, in fairness is probably the bulk of Orlando City fandom, um, you know, across the board, especially uh, outside of the city. They may not be too familiar with James O'Connor, but you have seen him from his uh, his infancy as a as a head coach. Why don't we start out by having you just tell us what you saw from James over the course of uh, your time in in Louisville and, and his time in Louisville? Yeah, I spent three years uh, around James and around Louisville City, uh, covering it for you guys, and then I got involved with the team. I uh, was on the broadcast team last year. Uh, for their radio broadcast. So, uh, you know, I spoke to James numerous, numerous times, interviewed him numerous times. Um, I think first and foremost, the the character about him that sticks out most to me uh, was that he's just a, a very serious guy. Like, he, he, it's not to say he wouldn't have a laugh uh, and then crack a smile every now and again, but uh, his mind always seemed to be on the task at hand, no matter what it was, and he approached it with a very serious mentality. Uh, even if that was just speaking to uh, you know, like a 22-year-old kid writing for a blog like me. He, he was very uh, serious about how he, he approached things. And I think that uh, really is the one defining factor of his coaching style. To this point in his young coaching career, only three and a half years in, uh, really takes his work seriously, works incredibly hard from what I saw. Uh, anytime I went to the stadium and went by his office, he was in there doing something, whether it was watching film or game planning uh, or whatever it may be. Uh, the guy works uh, just too many hours in the day uh, for for a good healthy lifestyle, to be honest. But uh, he, he's just he's just that dedicated to the thing, you know. Well, that's that's certainly good to hear. Um, what um, 
he obviously had some success at uh, Louisville. Um, tell us how that, uh, how, how he built that, um, you know, program up over that uh, period of time he was here. Well, yeah, obviously uh, tons of success. I think he surpassed anyone's really hope uh, or expectation, certainly during his time in Louisville, winning the USL title last year uh, and consistently putting Louisville at the top of the standings, uh, making it to the Eastern Conference final each of his three full seasons there. Uh, and this year, even making a deep run into the U.S. Open Cup, the deepest run of any uh, lower division team and the deepest run Louisville City's ever had. Um, but uh, a, a couple of things stick out to me thinking about James O'Connor with Louisville City um, in terms of what made him successful. First of all, uh, he really seemed to have a close-knit team culture that he built himself, or at least led anyway. Um, certainly a player's coach, James O'Connor was, and I would imagine is, uh, as you can expect, not that far removed from his playing days only a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, fiercely loyal to his players, defended his players at any any situation. You know, If anyone in the media was ever critical of a player, uh, he got very defensive of the player and protected his players. And uh, seemingly that uh, was good for him because his players bought into what he uh, was selling them, uh, worked really hard for him, and that was something that he... Uh, uh, I think implemented and, and wanted to see from all of his players was hard work. I mean, the guys out on the field uh, just ran their legs off every night, um, and that's that's what he wanted out of players, guys that didn't come in uh, and work their tail off, didn't last very long. You guys might remember uh, Sidney Rivera back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't stick around, didn't make too much of an impact, um, and I think the, the thinking on him at the time was just he didn't want to, he wasn't that hard of a worker compared to the other guys. Um, the second thing, and this might uh, you know, the transition to MLS might affect this, but the second factor to me that made him so successful at Louisville was his ability to find talent. Um, he brought guys in from tryouts. He brought brought guys in who were uh, down in the MPSL who hadn't played uh, fully, fully professional soccer in a couple of years and turned them into big-time players. Uh, you know, the last couple of years on the team, uh, the two fullbacks or wingbacks, depending on what system he played, uh, Oscar Jimenez on the left, Kyle Smith on the right, were both guys that he pulled out of the wilderness. Kyle Smith was a tryout player. Oscar Jimenez was playing down in Mississippi with the MPSL team, and both of those guys have been two of the better outside backs in the USL. Oscar Jimenez led the USL in chances created last season from a left-back position. Um, and there, there are so many guys throughout Louisville City's tenure of three and a half years now that James O'Connor uh, really took from adverse conditions or unknown conditions and built them up into quality players that contributed to a quality winning team. So those are the two factors for me. I would say first and foremost, the team culture, uh, which seemed very strong and is to this point in Louisville, very strong. And secondly, his ability to find talent in places where you might not look for it. Now, as I said, that might not translate to the MLS with a, with a bigger budget, a bigger player pool to look for players in. Um, but it, it certainly doesn't hurt to have in your back pocket. Absolutely, and there's there's no scouting in this in this league. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and you know, I, you actually kind of uh, preempted me. I was going to ask you if you thought it would translate. Um, so you know, I'm going to stick with that. You said it might not, but um, what what's your impression having having watched him, and of course, you know, uh, been in, uh, involved with you know with mainland and Orlando City. Uh, do you think that he could he can make that jump? What's your opinion of this of this hire for them? Uh, I, I mean, I don't think there's any reason to think it wouldn't translate. But like I said, it's a different animal, really, when you're talking about uh, bringing guys in uh, from from tryouts to uh, 
perhaps signing a guy like Kaka or Sasha Question or somebody <laughs> like that, a big money player who was playing overseas for you know years and years and years. Um, I, I do know this, and I will say this uh, to James James's credit. He's not going to be at work signing anybody who comes to scouting a player. Um, he watched film tirelessly, uh, as you probably have to do at the USL level to find those diamonds in the rough. Um, so given more resources, given more money, given a larger uh, frame of reference to find players, uh, I can't imagine James O'Connor won't find guys that fit what he's looking for. Jeff, uh, one thing that we've seen here in the first few years of MLS play with Orlando City is that Adrian Heath had his system, his 4-2-3-1. We've seen uh, J- uh, Jason Kreiss come in and keep that for the rest of, of the season that he first started and then uh, immediately tried to implement his 4-4-2 diamond. Sometimes it was a, a flat 4-4-2. Uh, and then this year, again, he started with the 4-4-2 and went to, then he switched to a 4-2-3-1 and then just basically stayed in that. One thing that I've seen from James O'Connor, just in, in the few visits that he's had here uh, when playing Orlando City B, is that he doesn't really stick with just one particular um, system. I mean, he, he he studies the opponent and kind of, dictates his shape and his tactics on what he's seen in, in film. Is that sort of what we can expect uh, moving forward with him? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say um, to, to that question of what formation he plays. I think he plays the formation that will win him the game, or at least the formation that he expects will win him the game. Um, similar to, to, you know, you mentioned Adrian Heath with the 4-2-3-1, obviously O'Connor coming out of that system. Year one in Louisville back in 2015, it was mostly a 4-2-3-1. Uh, year two as well. Occasionally, if they needed to like chase a game, he would throw a second striker on, switch it to a four-four-two that generally was flat. Um, but last year there was a big, uh, a big switch for him tactically to my eye. Uh, in about July, if my memory serves, uh, he switched from a four-back system to a three-center back system with two wing backs. The guys that I mentioned, Kyle Smith and Oscar Jimenez, mm-hmm. and he rode that all the way through the championship last season. Um, he and and. To me, it's, it was because a matter of uh, he had four guys, uh, four center backs on the roster that were starting quality that deserved to be playing, um, and he wanted to utilize his, his tools in his bag, so to speak, as best he could. Um, and, and so I, I would agree with your observation, Michael, that um, more often than not, James O'Connor isn't tied to a particular system. He's tied to certain philosophical principles, I would say, in terms of how his team plays. Uh, he likes to give his offensive, his, his attacking players, uh, room to roam, uh, you know, freedom to find the space. That's something he used to talk about a lot at Louisville City, a lot in, in, in press conferences, is finding the space. Space is a word that he uses a lot. Um, and defensively, just being solid. Uh, uh, honestly, I'm not sure how often he really uh, would send up his defensive midfielders into the attack. Uh, those guys generally stayed back, but he let the, the, the attacking midfielders, guys like Brian Ombi and George Davis, uh, in Louisville the last couple of years, really find the space wherever they needed to be. They would, they would switch sides of the field together and um, just roam around freely. Um, so I, I wouldn't say he's tied to any particular formation or system in that way, but he's tied to particular philosophies and how he wants to play no matter what the formation is. Uh, you mentioned that he wanted to uh, make sure he was using you know all the tools available to him in regards to uh, his personnel Looking at the current Orlando City roster, which, of course, the front office said he was going to have to use, uh, which uh, players stand out for you as, as guys that would be his type of guys? 
Well, that's a good question. I mean, obviously, Dom Dwyer, uh, he played with Dom uh, back in the day, and, and Michael asked him the question at the press conference about his relationship with Dom Dwyer. Um, and, and James O'Connor certainly has had a history in Louisville of having productive uh, number nine forwards, going back to Max, Matt Fondy, who was the MVP of the USL, uh, set the league scoring record in 2015. Uh, Chandler Hoffman, who uh, was into double-figure scoring in 2016. Uh, last year, it was a little bit more scoring by committee, but he still had a striker in double-figure goals with Luke Spencer. Uh, so Don Dwyer is obviously a guy that stands out. Uh, I can't imagine uh, Dom isn't going to buy into what James wants to wants to do there, having had that rapport with him. Um, but being a midfielder by trade, James O'Connor was during his playing days, Again, another big name on the Orlando team, Sasha Question. I feel like um, if they can get together and get on a get on an understanding, get on the same page, that could be uh, a very profitable relationship for the both of them. Um, because uh, Louisville City always had uh, decent playing midfielders in the attack and defensively. Uh, talking about guys like Aiden Quinn, Paulo Piccolo, both were captains at Louisville City. Uh, Speedy Williams, Magnus Rasmussen, all had uh, productive. Uh, tenures with Louisville City. Um, so those are two guys off the top of my head, but uh, I think generally speaking, it's more about the collective with James O'Connor. It's more about getting uh, the entire team on the same page and, again, building that culture like I talked about uh, with Louisville. I mean, everybody on the team in Louisville bought in, and, and when guys didn't buy in, they didn't last very long. <laughs> Well, one guy who's had uh, some struggles here in Orlando since he joined the club uh, is a, a very talented winger in Justin Merrim and uh, has, has recently uh, had a few days off to uh, take care of some personal matters. But he's back now, and and he's a guy that I think can benefit from a, a, a reset. And, and I wonder if a guy like him who, who likes to not only – work in space and put the ball into space, but also likes to take on defenders. How might he fit into what James O'Connor likes to do? Well, I would agree with you. I mean, obviously, Justin Miriam, uh, talented in his past, uh, his time with Columbus uh, was, was pretty pretty good for him. Um, but O'Connor generally, with his with his wingers, his attacking midfielders, uh, Mark Anthony Kay, by the way, you know, now with LAFC, kind of, uh, in, in this last week has been getting a lot of the mentions in, in the press of, hey, this is the guy that O'Connor developed and, and sent to the major league level, major league soccer level. Um, he played on the wing with Louisville, in fact, um, in his two years with Louisville City. Um, but he, he likes a winger that's going to be able to um, take a guy on the dribble uh, and, and get service into the box. That was something uh, over and over and over again that Louisville City did. I mean, it's, it's not the necessarily most attractive way to play, but they would get the ball out wide and whip it into the box, get across into the box, and just see what happens, whether it was uh, getting ahead on the ball or, you know, just put it in the mixer and, and, and see what comes out. Um, so in, in that way, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how well Miram fits that sort of particular uh, mold that O'Connor has had, but uh, like I said, O'Connor is the kind of guy that is going to do what he can with the tools that he has in his bag and Justin Miram, if you can get him on on the on the right page and get an understanding with him, uh, is certainly a a an important tool in Orlando City's bag right now. Uh, switching gears a little bit, Jeff. Um, Adrian Heath had his uh, style of talking to the media and uh, and the fans. Obviously, Jason Christ had a very different uh, way of doing that. Um, tell us about James O'Connor and how he he deals with the the press and 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 with the fans. Well, I, I think as you might expect, I mean, he's a young coach 
38, only been coaching for, uh, you know, three plus years now. Uh, and, and maybe this is a, a little bit of speculation on my part, but I can't imagine in his career, uh, playing in England as a player, he would have had to deal with the press, uh, as he did as a coach. So I, I, I always sort of had the assumption that he was a little bit inexperienced in, in dealing with the press. And I think you, we in Louisville certainly saw him grow and blossom, uh, in his, the way he dealt with the press over the, over the three plus year tenure he was there. Uh, the last couple of years, especially, you would see him being a little more uh, open and uh, having a little more fun talking to the media. I mean, year one and year two, you could see he's very closed off. He, he stuck to his cliches. Uh, he stuck to his, his coach speak. You couldn't really pry much information out of him uh, after a game or before a game, for that matter. Uh, but, but last year, and from what I've seen this year, uh, he, he's, he smiles a little bit more. He has a little bit more fun with the media. I, I think he's starting to to grow into a media presence. Um, he's not a guy that's going to use the media. And then, you know, you hear about coaches that will, will call guys out in the press to see if that'll you know, get them going. Uh, he's never been that kind of guy. Like I said, he's a player's coach. First and foremost, he's going to protect his guys, uh, no matter the situation. Um, but, uh, in, in truth, to give you the whole picture, he's still a growing coach in that way. I think he, he really hasn't uh, become a fully formed, uh, coach in terms of how he deals with the media. All right, Jeff. Before we let you go, I want to I want to pick your brain here. I want to put you on the spot and say, knowing what you know about James O'Connor with Orlando City right now sitting four points below the playoff line, does James O'Connor get this this roster, this team above the line by season's end with half the season to go? Hmm, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, and you guys uh, have have talked about this and written about this. Uh, to, I think it really depends on how he gets the locker room uh, to buy buy into his his principles and what he's selling. Um, my gut, obviously, I'm I'm probably biased here because I was uh, around him for three years and saw so much success out of him for three years. My gut says yes, he will get uh, Orlando over the line. Obviously, there's talent. He said that in his, in his uh, introductory presser the other day uh, that the quality of the players um, is such that you'd expect it they'd be over the line. Um, so I, I'm going to say yes, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a risky situation because you don't know how uh, a young coach with an older roster, I mean, the USL guys are all under 30, well under 30 for the most part. George Davis was 27. He was the oldest player that Louisville City had. Um, you know, with, with some older guys that are closer to his age, maybe there's some skepticism. Um, but no one's going to outwork him. Uh, no one's going to try harder. And uh, if you had to put me on the spot, I would say, yes, he gets Orlando City into the playoffs this year. All right. Jeff Milby, former Mainland staffer and uh, uh, our one-time Louisville City correspondent uh, living there uh, in Louisville at the time. Uh, Thank you so much for being with us on the podcast. And we look forward to having you on again uh, without it being so many years in between. Hey, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Enjoyed it here. I want to say this before before you get me off. Uh, before you stop recording, uh, I really want to thank you for bringing me up on to the mainland back in 2015. You really had no reason to put me on. I had no resume at that point, um, <laughs> but uh, it opened lots of doors for me. Uh, not that I've become, you know, I'm, I'm not like, I've not gone on to have a, a great long successful career yet, but uh, I feel like I've got some things going for me and a great uh, big part of that is because of, of you guys at the mainland and you particularly, Michael. So I, want, I just want to say thanks 
while we have people listening to us and it's on the record. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Jeff. I appreciate it. And I definitely saw uh, a, a very um, eager and intelligent person back then that, uh, that I thought would do a good job. And uh, you always did do a good job for us. So I'm not surprised that you've uh, been able to parlay that into, you know, something that you enjoy doing for a living. So thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Good talking to you guys. All right, big thanks again to our old pal Jeff Milby for coming back to his old stomping grounds and uh, returning to the podcast. It was good to talk to him again, Dave. Yeah, it was nice uh, kind of uh, having uh, the, the old old uh, old guy come – well, not old guy. The young guy come talk to the old guys. Yeah, and Jeff uh, was one of the first hires for this uh, – for our website, themainland.com. We weren't even um, – on SB Nation yet when Jeff came aboard I found him while we were still uh just a, a lowly free WordPress site and uh he you know I put out the call and and you know we need we need Louisville contributors yeah. and next thing I knew this guy was contacting me I didn't know him or anything but he was uh, again he was he was very eager he seemed very intelligent very plugged into um very not only to the Louisville sports scene but to MLS and I thought eh, okay well it's a volunteer position, you know, worst comes to worst, I got to replace him, you know? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I mean, it feels like I've been, uh, with mainland forever, but, uh, you know, Jeff, uh, predated, uh, my arrival, uh, by a little bit too. So yeah, but you're right. Good to talk to him and, and I'm glad to hear that he's, he's doing well. Yeah. I think, um, Jeff hasn't been on the podcast since, uh, I think August of 2015, maybe, I don't know. Uh, that sounds about right. But, uh, yeah, he's it, it's good to talk to him. And he's got a great radio voice, so I can see why he got a job in radio. Yeah, absolutely. He's much better than I am. So. <laughs> Both of us. Yeah. He, should, he should be doing this. Maybe I'll get him back and he could just do our podcast from now on. Hey, that, we can just mail it in. That sounds great. Yeah, well, I, I could use an extra night off. That wouldn't suck at all for me. Um, <laughs> anyway, Dave, let's get to our mailbag, of course. Uh, we have... Um, uh, you know, you can ask us anything. You can just literally ask us anything, and we will. And we will. You know, I don't. I don't know if you're on the Reddit's, but they do it over there. They do the ask me anything all the time. And yeah. You, and you can ask people anything, and you can do that to to us. Uh, you can do it a couple of ways. You can email us. That's the old-fashioned way. Uh, our email is themainland at gmail dot com. Uh, the other way you can get us is uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. We are uh, at the mainland. And be sure to use that hashtag, AskTMLPC. And uh, that's those are the two ways that you can get us. So we'll start out with uh, our old buddy, Lee, who uh, likes to do it the old-fashioned way with the email. Okay. We have uh, some Twitter questions as well tonight. And uh, Lee would like to know, who do you think will take home the Golden Ball Trophy at the end of this World Cup? Wow. Um, hmm. Well, well, let's see. I mean, just off of what happened today, Harry Kane's now got what six? Six goals. He's the Golden Boot leader. Yeah. Will he take home the Golden Boot and the Golden Ball, Dave? Uh, I don't know. I I hope not. Um, I I don't know. Uh, who who who's on your list? Uh, well, if they go deep in the tournament, I think it will be um, 
a a golden ball and a golden globe for acting for Neymar. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you mean yeah, the man who uh, is, is so affected by um, a gentle breeze and the pull of gravity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Neymar, uh, yeah, he's he's definitely winning some acting awards uh, for yeah. this. Uh, I think they call them the Razzies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. That's a that's a great question. I think it's really hard it not to give it to the top scorer. So if England goes deep and, and Harry Kane wins a golden boot, he probably is the favorite for the golden ball. Um, yeah. But I think who wins the tournament will have a lot to do with it. Uh, England is certainly in a good spot with all the upsets that we've had already. Uh, some of the big teams going out. Um, so I think they're in really good shape. Um, uh, I tell you, I, I felt so bad for Japan the other day because they played such a great game, a very plucky game. They give up, um, again, a, a kind of a lucky goal for Belgium, and then they give up the Fellaini goal, which just because Fellaini's like 19 feet taller than any J- Japanese player. And uh, and then they give up what I think is the perfect counterattack right at the death of the game to lose the game in regulation. Oh, yeah, it was it was textbook. I mean, you could not have drawn it up or I mean, it, you couldn't have played it better on FIFA. Yeah, it was it was an unbelievable counterattack. And it was uh, it was it was both beautiful and terrifying to watch. <laughs> terrifying if you were wanting <laughs> Japan to win, but uh, a yeah. beautiful thing to watch, even down to the the just the fantastic run and the and the awareness of of. Uh, Rom, big Rom Lukaku to let that ball play through to the the open player behind him. Just tremendous. Uh, so I don't know, Lee. That's a good question. I think we might have a better idea after the quarterfinals. Um, yeah. We'll 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 maybe revisit that. So thanks for the question. Um, let's take our questions from the twits. I'm not calling our listeners twits. That would be us. Um, uh, The folks on Twitter, that is. Let's say that. That's probably a nicer way to put it. Uh, And let's uh, let's go down this list. Let's see. Um, There's quite a list, too. Um, And uh, my computer's frozen. Uh, No, it's unfrozen. Woohoo! It's unfrozen like unfrozen like a caveman lawyer, Dave. Tech? Oh, nice. Yeah, Nobody's so, going to get that except you and I. Old people, uh, Phil Hartman fans, uh, will will get that. Um, okay, so let's start with... Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to say this. Uh, Hadoken wants to know, Dave, what level or percentage of confidence do you have in the Lions after the All-Star match? Playoffs still in focus or just another uh, Orlando Magic-type rebuilding year? Boy, um, I tend to be a hopeful person. So uh, until it's mathematically impossible, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep saying, you know, that there's I'm I'm, I'm Lloyd and uh, and the Dumb and Dumber going. So you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> uh, it, yeah, it's it could also go the other direction very easily. But um, now nah, you know I'll, I'll, we've we've got we've got the new coach. There's going to be you know, guys fighting for positions, hopefully a new attitude. I, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll stick in for now. Okay. So, um, what, what is your confidence level percentage wise with like a hundred, Conf- with a hundred percent, with a hundred percent being the, being completely confident that the teams will make the playoffs and 0% being, uh, there's no way in hell they make the playoffs. Where do you kind of rank on the confidence scale? confidence scale um well after that little speech i can't go too low can i so um i'll say making the playoffs uh, 
Uh, 65%. All right. Um, I'm going to go 50%, right at 50-50, because I have no idea how the <laughs> locker room is going to respond to James O'Connor, and that will tell us a lot. If the, if the locker room responds positively, um, you know, then I think this team goes on and makes the playoffs. If the if the team doesn't embrace James O'Connor, then it could be a very very long season. So um, we'll know. This is another. I guess this is another question we should table. <laughs> so. See, and I actually completely agree yeah. with you. But after that little speech, yeah. I figured, well, I can't do fifty right. fifty. So uh, next question from EJ Manuel Miranda, who wants to know uh, who are some of the realistic offensive options should the Alliance seek more help for Dwyer during the transfer window, or what change in tactics could be done to assist up top. Hmm. Uh, let me start this one. I'm going to say that realistic offensive options are going to have to be limited because of where the team is on in, in terms of the cap. So I think that there's not going to be a big name brought in. There might be somebody in USL that uh, playing in, in the USL that maybe James O'Connor is confident can come in and and provide what maybe Stefano Pino has not yet provided. Um so it might be somebody like that. Um, maybe even a guy like, um, uh, man, I would, I would say Dane, uh, um, Kelly, but he's already in the ML, in the MLS with uh, Washington, uh, or with DC United. Um, a guy like that though, at that level could potentially come in and, and be brought in, uh, you know, on the cheap to maybe potentially help out Dom Dwyer. But I really think it comes down to James O'Connor tweaking the, uh, the offense. I think that's really what the important part will be in getting Dom some help. If 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 uh, if James comes in and can diagnose the problems that this team's been having and fix them, then I think that you don't really need to bring in anybody else. Indeed, and he may uh, he may be able to do something with Pino. Uh, you know, figure out, uh, you know, the, the glitches there and, and get him back to the guy that was scoring, you know, three goals against Orlando city. So, um, the development of, of the people we have, that's, that's going to be the, the, the first option because as, uh, Alex Latell said, Hey, these are the guys. So, um, as far as change in tactics, I, that I definitely see, um, now what they're going to be. That I don't know, but I, I we do know that O'Connor has a, a definite, um, more attacking style of play. What which lineup and 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 formation he's going to roll out initially? Uh, that's going to depend on who's buying in and who isn't. And that goes back to what you said as far as who you know what's going on in the locker room. Yeah, I I think tactically he just wants his his offensive players to play creatively and free and 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 like Jeff Milby said, find the space get the ball to that player in the space and let them do their thing. Um, I think under Jason, things were a little too slow and deliberate in the buildup. I think he's going to want to get rid of that. He's going to want to get rid of the doubt, get rid of the, the, you know, the, the, yeah. the uncertainty and just say, look, go play. This is fun. You know, have you get out there, find the spaces and find each other. And I think just maybe that might be just enough to, uh, to get this team back to scoring goals like it was during the six game winning streak. Thanks for the question, EJ Manuel Miranda. Uh, Chris Harder wants to know, uh, who's the player we need to be expecting more from? I know it's hard, but who has exceeded expectations? So there's two, uh, two questions here. Who should we expect more from and who has exceeded expectations? Um, 
I think we can expect more from Sasha. I think that uh, O'Connor, what O'Connor wants to do is going to uh, hopefully free him up a little bit. So I think we can expect to see um, him, you know, feel like you said, feeling a little bit more free, just moving in the spaces. So I think we'll have that. And then the second part of the question was who's, who's already impressing us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's easy. That's Mueller. Just, um, the energizer buddy, the nonstop, you know, even, even though it's been a while since he scored a goal or anybody scored a goal, but, um, his, his, his mentality on the field is, uh, his determination. It's, it's absolutely what you want out of any player, let alone a rookie. Yeah, I will agree with Mueller. He's exceeded expectations. Another guy I think has exceeded my expectations is Amro Tarek. I did not think that he was much more than a depth signing when he was brought in. I think he's, He's at times been the team's best center back. At other times, he hasn't been. But uh, I think overall, if you look at the balance of his play this season, I I didn't expect him to be the quality level that he's been this year. So I'd say Amro has exceeded expectations as well as Chris Mueller. Uh, Who should we be expecting more from? There's a lot of guys. I I expected (laughs) more from Stefano Pino. I expect more from Sasha Kleschen. Everyone expects more from Justin Merrim. And I think that... Uh, this coaching change might end up be, you know, benefiting him the most. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I am perfectly uh, confident that if Justin Merrim starts to turn a corner on the field, that he can repair any, any, you know, damage that's been done between him and the fans. The fans just want to win and they want good performance. Yeah. Once Justin Merrim starts giving them that, um, you know, he's, he's going to, he's going to, he could become a crowd favorite. Um, it'll become a positive yeah. feedback loop. If you remember, um, Antonio Nocherino had a lot of haters, um, and he won, not everybody back mm-hmm. over, but he won a lot of those haters back, uh, you know, back over the, the, the time that he was here. And I think the same is, is, is capable. Justin Merrim's capable of doing the same thing. In fact, if you go back to the, the, the opening game, and uh, the 1-1 draw with, with 10 men against D.C. United. Nobody had anything bad to say about Justin Merrim after that game. Everybody was just in love with Justin Merrim after that game. But, right. um, you know, obviously he he didn't uh, quite work out in terms of the way, he, you know, he would like to in the, case, in, in the fans and the team. But not all of that's on him because there is – he plays a certain way and – that was known coming in here. I mean, if you watched Columbus a lot, you know exactly what you're getting in Justin Merrill. And, you know, we don't have Higuain. We don't have, um, you know, Ola Kamara. And, you know, we didn't have a, a, an Ethan Finley. These are different players, and he's got to get used to them, and they've got to get used to him. And he've, he, you, we've seen any number of times him putting a ball into where he expects a guy to go because he's been playing with those guys for years. And they, these new, right. new teammates are not the same. You know, Sasha's not a, an aggressive attacking player. He likes to sit back and pull the strings. You know, you, how many times have we seen him pass up shots that were wide open, let alone actually actively working to get into shooting position? But that guy coming up from behind used to be Federico Higuain. And that guy is always trying to score. So, yeah, there's right. a little bit of a difference there. And... You know, honestly, with guys being in and out of the lineup, it's 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 not surprising that that it's kind of surprising more haven't struggled from the get go rather than just, you know, Justin and, and Pino and a couple other guys. But 
Uh, I think he's the guy that we should be expecting more from, and I, th- I really do believe that he can uh, he can turn the corner if James can get everybody pulling the, the right direction, the same direction, and if he can win that locker room like I think he can, uh, Justin Miram's turnaround will bring the fans back on his side. That's just One can only hope. Yeah. So thanks, Chris, for the question. We appreciate that, or the questions. Uh, on Twitter, Spot. Spot wants to know tactically... Will we see anything different to shore up the defense, especially against counterattacks? Um, I'm glad you brought that question up because that's actually something that uh, O'Connor addressed in his uh, his press conference. That he he believes that um, you know he say you know again he says all the right things. He believes in attacking football. He believes in um, you know being aggressive, scoring a lot of goals. But he also believes in clean sheets. You know the same thing that a lot of coaches uh, say. But he also definitely brought in defensive responsibility. He brought it back around to that, and that was something that, you know, I'm sure he's well aware that this team gives up counterattacking goals. And I do think we'll see the team improve in that area. Um, Because, uh, you know, he was a central midfielder. He knows about transition defense. And that's, I mean, if you had to pick out one specialty of his, he's a guy, I don't even think he scored a goal for Orlando City when he played in here. That's that's his, <laughs> his thing is to break up play, and I, I think that he uh, will bring that to the club. So um, it's uh, it's going to be fun to watch that and uh, to see how that develops. But certainly, um, you know, he he's well aware of that, and I think tactically, it, it's something that the team is going to focus on. Yeah, I've got nothing really to add to that other than you know he's. I, I think it's. It'll be good for, like you said, you know, the uh, midfielder. So somebody like a Yuri Russell or Christian Nagita, you know, they're going to get uh, some some very uh, very personal uh, attention in regards to you know their roles in that respect. And um, I, you know, I think he might actually really like somebody like Nagita. Yeah, his his exact quote at the at the press conference was. Um, uh, it's trying to make sure there's understanding of defensive transition and what that entails and then making sure the roles and responsibilities are laid out and that people can get a good understanding and then act on that, making sure they do that. So that sounds like what this team needs. Yeah, it's very specific. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, what else we got? We got more Twitter questions. Our old staff writer Brent would like to know. In your opinion, is the loss of Tim Mulqueen a loss for Joe Bendick's development? Um, well, you know, I guess that all depends on who they bring in, doesn't it? Um, you know, good old Joey B has, has had a bit of a, a rough year this year, you know, as opposed to, you know, previously. So um, maybe, you know, maybe some new blood, uh, some new ideas uh, helps him out. Um, you know, maybe he had gone as far as he could, uh, with him and, and, and something, you know, in, in my business, uh, oftentimes a, a new face and a new voice can, can help make the sale. And, and maybe that's, maybe that's what, uh, Joe needs. Yeah. My, my first thought when reading this question was, uh, I don't really like the way Bendix developed this year. Uh, he's kind of gone backwards a little bit in my opinion. So, um, and not all of it's his fault, but uh, of course we've seen some shots that he used to stop, not get stopped. I think there was 
um, you know, there was a tough angle shot uh, just this past week that went through his legs. That was not good. It should, should yep. have stopped. Uh, but I think you're right. I think a fresh pair of eyes might be able to tweak a few things and get Joe back to the top of his form. So uh, I don't think it will be a big loss for his development. I think he was already kind of uh, backsliding a little bit this season. It was not as good as what we've seen in the past. So thanks, Brent, for the question. <sighs> Here's more. Uh, Jad Saab. I was probably pronouncing that exactly wrong. On Twitter, wants to know, do you guys foresee James O'Connor maintaining the 4-2-3-1 in Orlando? Uh, <laughs> um, maybe. We kind of talked about this a little <laughs> yeah. bit. Um, we'll see some of it, but we're going to see other yeah. shapes as well. And that's kind yeah. of exciting, in fact, because, you know, it's, it's, it's really... It's good and bad. When you're us and you're putting together your game preview and you're doing your projected lineup, it's nice to know what that shape's going to be. You know exactly who to plug in where. Um, but right. with, uh, like, for example, if you just go back to last year when, when James brought uh, Louisville City to uh, against OCB, the two games against OCB, one time he lined up in a 4-2-3-1 and another time he lined up in a 4-3-3. And much of the year, he didn't line up in either of those uh particular shapes so uh, you'll see some four two three one but you're going to see some other things so uh that's about as good as we can as we can uh we can answer that question <laughs> yeah uh did mark johnson send us anything this week uh not that i've seen so okay. um but he's probably been pretty busy this week so okay and we've also have uh not had uh any new five-star reviews on uh on uh, iTunes, which means we are not a very good podcast. You should not listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you love us? Yeah. All right. So the thing there is if you if you do enjoy us and you leave us a five-star review and you write a review on iTunes with those five stars, we will read it on the air. So uh, that's some incentive for you to uh, to do some things that actually help us in the, in the rankings on iTunes, which is to rank us or rate us. And then leave us some uh, some feedback. So uh, I invite you to do that. And if it's, uh, it's it doesn't have to be five star, but if you believe that we're a five star podcast and you do that and you write it, we'll read it on the air because you know we're 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 just that we're shallow cool like that. <laughs> we're just that shallow <laughs> or shallow, whatever. All right, Dave. So uh, thanks everybody for the uh, ask the mainland podcast questions again you can hit us up on twitter we're at the mainland hit us up with that hashtag ask tmlpc uh, or email us at the ma- the mainland at gmail.com so we turn our attention uh to the pride and orlando city this weekend both teams are in action on saturday the afternoon game 4 p.m eastern time um their first ever meeting with los angeles football club dave but uh, it will be a nightcap of the pride at home against the Washington spirit in game three of the three game homestand, trying to salvage a game all of a sudden from the mm-hmm. three game homestand. Let's talk a little bit about the spirit. This will be the third meeting. Uh, the first two, both in Washington, the, the, they were split. Uh, Orlando lost the first one, two nil won the second one, one nil. Um, again, Mallory Pugh still out for the spirit. Uh, how do you see this one shaping up with Washington? Does the, does the pride, uh, do they bounce back? I think they do. I have a hard time seeing um, this team go, you know, three losses in a row. So uh, they're going to get a result, um, uh, hopefully the win. But uh, I have just the the pride of the pride 
uh, their personal pride is not going to, I don't think would let them uh, let that happen again, especially like you said, with uh, Pew still being out. So, uh, and it being at home, um, I think it was an opportunity uh, for the, you know, supporters to get out there since it's a seven thirty uh, game and, and, you know, get uh, you know, show, show a little love and maybe uh, remind them that uh, they, they still believe in them. And, and I think if you do, you'll get rewarded with a, uh, at least a result and hopefully a win. Yeah, I think so too. I think the pride will bounce back in this one. I think they feel like they have a lot to prove. Um, maybe this is where we see the, the offense explode again, like it did at Chicago with, uh, with everybody getting on the same page after, uh, you know, being shut out, and then the week, bef- uh, the game before that, um, missing so many close opportunities. So maybe we'll see the uh, the pride uh, bust out with a, maybe a, one of those games where Alex and Marta each get a brace. Who knows? Uh, I think that it's going to be tough because Washington is a is a pretty good defensive team, and they're very physical. And that's the kind of team that that Orlando sometimes struggles with. Uh, but there have been games here where even against those types of teams, the pride have broken through. So. We'll see. And I really want to see Camilla on the field. That's what I want to see. <laughs> you okay. listening, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> Tom always listens. Everybody always yeah, listens. Of course he does. Yeah, yeah, everybody we are adored by millions. Um, okay, so Orlando City will go to LAFC for the first time. Very formidable uh, expansion club, LAFC, Dave, and a, a good uh, home environment. Uh, Carlos Vela is out of the World Cup. Not sure if he'll be in the lineup yet. Uh, after Mexico just got eliminated the other day. Um, probably a lot to ask of him, but a very, very good side. How do you see that one shaping up? What's your key matchup? What's your scoreline prediction? Dave? Key matchup is unfortunately <laughs> going to be... Sorry about that, people. Sometimes you get the buttons wrong. Uh, key matchup is going to unfortunately be the midfield. Um, it, it's a lot's just going to depend on on how James sends everybody out there. But you know, uh, I, they've got a good midfield. They're able to transition well, and they've been winning games. Um, and they're at home, and we have to travel across the country. So um, my prediction is a two-one loss. But hey, we're back on the scoreboard. So take that as a good step okay that's interesting um one thing we do know is that as we record this lafc is in houston in a long uh weather delay so maybe they don't get back maybe maybe that will help orlando city a little bit this is a tough team to figure out uh if vela doesn't play they've still got adama diamande who is a uh, yep. the reigning mls player of the week had a hat trick last week uh, seven goals on the season still got diego rossi uh, very good defensively with Laurent uh, Simon. Um, just really, a, you know, from front to back, a really tough team to figure uh, that Orlando City will be able to go on the road and get points against on the West Coast. Orlando City yet to win in California. So um, given the fact that James O'Connor, who will have only been in charge of the team since Monday, and they'll be traveling, spending that extra day on the road, in fact, they, I talked to the communications staff. They said that the team is not chartering for this game. So this is a commercial flight to L.A. Isn't that a good thing, though? Don't they do bad when they charter? They do bad when they go out early. 
but they're doing that. Oh, okay. Oh. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I would was try, trying to, look I would try to get spot. my team to just kind of roll up to the stadium as, as they, you know, just like fly in right. and then just kind of get in the cab and go right to the stadium and get on the field. Or better, better yet, uh, pilot, can you <laughs> land right outside the stadium? Yeah, or on the field and then take off and just, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say... I'm going to say 3-1 Los Angeles. I think it's going to be a difficult ask for for uh, James O'Connor to do much after only five days. Um, probably still going to be a lot of question marks. It's probably still going to be a lot of, uh, in terms of, you know, those question marks are in terms of whether or not guys, guys are starting to buy in. I don't know if you can get a buy-in in just a few days like this. Um, and, you know, it's... I think you're going to see a, a more gritty performance than what we saw against Atlanta, but mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think it's going to be there yet. And I do think it'll be a struggle for the first few weeks, at least under, under James O'Connor. Cause you know, mid season coaching changes don't just fix things instantly. Uh, I mean, even Brian Schmetzer taking over a very good Seattle Sounders team. It, it took a, it took a little bit for him to get that thing turned around. It took for him coming to Orlando to turn that around that year. Uh, in <laughs> fact, uh, if you go back and you'll read their, yeah. their quotes and say, yeah, that game really in Orlando really uh, turned things around for us. Uh, you're welcome, Seattle. Yeah, um, so happy to help. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as for key matchups, uh, I gave you my prediction without giving you my key matchups. I think it's going to be, um, those guys, Rossi and Diamandi, those are the guys that have to be kept in check. And, and uh, I'm probably mispronouncing uh, Adama's name. If I am, I, I apologize. I haven't gotten to see a lot of LAFC in recent yeah. weeks. I saw them quite a few times early in the season um, when he wasn't really featuring. So, um, But I've seen plenty of Diego Rossi, and I know what Carlos Vela can do. So um, this is a very good team. It's a team that can score a can score goals, especially at home. I think they'll be good there. Um, they come into the Houston game. I think they've won. I think they've won three in a row. Um, uh, yeah. Plus, if you include Open Cup, I think it's four. So uh, it's going to be a very difficult ask. So I, I don't see it going well. And again, I think uh, stopping uh, Adama and Diego will be the key for Orlando City. That's the key matchup. And then a, a secondary matchup on that field is is can they get through that back line? Um, that back line is a very good back line. The center backs are very good. You know, Bob Bradley was smart in the way he built that team uh, with Walker Zimmerman and Lawrence Simon, uh, two really outstanding MLS uh, level center backs. So getting uh, Dom between those guys and around those guys is going to be a chore. So that's your secondary, uh, your secondary matchup from me. So there's a, that's a bonus key matchup, if you will. Ooh, bonus. <laughs> All right, Dave, uh, should we put a bow on this? You got anything that you want to add? Any any pressing uh, Orlando City news that you want to get to? Not that I can think of, but it's, as we mentioned at the very beginning, it's been one of those days for me. So don't count on my brain to be uh, helping out right now. All right, Dave's brain ball is busted, and he's leaking cortical fluid out of his ears. And uh, so we'll put a bow on this thing. Please read our stuff at themainland.com. We'll have full coverage of both Orlando City and the Orlando Pride matches this weekend. Um, I believe our own uh, Jack McAwesome is going out to L.A. for this game, actually. Um, oh, wow. He's not covering it, but he's just going out as a fan. So that would be kind of fun for him, hopefully. Yeah, well, yeah, and, you know, <laughs> we maybe can get him to do something when he gets back and, you know, on his impressions and all that. Yeah, all right. Um so read our stuff at themainland.com. Please uh, like us on uh, Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. And uh, where can they get you on Twitter, Dave? I am at 
Mainland Dave. And I'm at Mainland Michael, so it's really difficult to remember yeah. know, how to get a hold of us on Twitter. <laughs> uh, again, to subscribe to us on uh, iTunes or whatever uh, service that you, you use for your podcast, and uh, leave us one of those five-star reviews, and we'll get to it next week. We'll be back next week to break down everything. I mean, everything. We're just going to break down everything. We're just going to start uh, at page one of Wikipedia and just go till it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will be breaking down Orlando City, of course, at LAFC. We'll be breaking down the pride and the spirit. We'll be looking ahead to future games. We have so much soccer going on. We might, you know, if we have time, we might talk a little bit more World Cup. We haven't really done that, but... Uh, you know, we haven't had opportunity. <laughs> we've had the time, really, uh, to do that. It's uh, it's been it's been very busy. It's been very hectic, and you know, it won't be too much longer before we're back in U.S. Open Cup. July 18th uh, will be that trip to Philadelphia for the quarterfinals, with a chance for Orlando City to uh, potentially advance further than uh, the club has ever been in the uh, competition. And the weird thing is, if Orlando gets past Philly, and the Chicago Fire stub their toe. It might be a re a big huge uh, reunion between uh, James O'Connell <laughs> City in the semifinals. Yeah, that would be that would be amazing, and of course maybe that gives us the advantage because he knows them so well. Maybe, maybe, but <laughs> or, a, a big, or maybe he just made them too good. <laughs> or be, could be a big grudge match for them, and they want to show their old oh, coach up. You know, I mean, uh, that kind of happens. I mean, look, look. We haven't beaten Adrian Heath since he left. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. not like he's had world beaters in Minnesota. I mean, no, that, he has that, that team is, you know, it has some talent, but it's it's realistically not a team that should be should be going on the road and beating Orlando City or, or very many other teams for that matter. So uh, anyway, again, a big thanks to Jeff Milby, our old pal. It was so fun to catch up with him and uh, we, we wish him uh, the best of luck in his endeavors. He's now in baseball, Dave, out in Richmond, uh, Virginia. Um, and... Well, we all make bad choices in life. Uh, I do. I'm kidding, Jeff. I'm I kidding. Do enjoy the baseball. In fact, minor league baseball is so much fun. Uh, I... Actually, you're right. That's that's minor league baseball is a hoot. Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, anything else I need to get to before we sign off because um, you know it's uh, it's going to be a week before we talk about this stuff. So. Uh, one thing we got to do is make sure we've got it all buttoned up. Oh, you know what? The next time we – oh, no, no. Next time we talk, we'll just have these two games to talk about. And then uh, there's a Wednesday game next week. I think the Pride play at Houston. Oh, no. So, um, you know. So we'll have so some more coverage on that. So some midweek madness uh, next week as the, the Pride will visit the Dash looking for a little payback for what happened last week. Also, absolutely. game. Don't like Wednesday night games, man. <laughs> the only thing I like about them is it means I've got something to write about. Yeah. So, okay. So next week we'll be back. We'll break down uh, Orlando City at LAFC, the Pride against Washington at home, and then we'll prepare you for the the pair of Pride games coming up that week. Next week, uh, we'll have Toronto coming uh, a week from Saturday here to Orlando. There's just so much soccer to talk. And we'll be back to do it all on behalf of David Rowe. I am Michael Citro, the founder and managing editor of the mainland.com, signing off the way I always do by saying go city and go pride.